Welcome to the Topeka First Assembly podcast. We hope this message serves as an encouragement to you. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so online at www.topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Well, this morning we have a guest with us, a guest, a guest a speaker, uh, and it is uh, Steve and Becky Preston. They're with us. You probably saw their table out in the foyer when you came, come in and uh, they're missionaries. Uh, in fact, I, I think I met these guys about 20 years ago in Springfield, Missouri, as we were going through uh, the School of Missions for U.S. Missions, uh, and it uh, and seems like we, we followed each other around. We went out to Southern California. Well, we all served there, and, uh, and these guys made it back to the wonderful state of Kansas, and we're glad they're here. And they got a unique ministry, and really an important one, uh, it kind of hits my heart as well, and I'm going to let him share about it, and, uh, but, but it just uh, open your hearts to what God is saying to them, and uh, just uh, we're so glad to have them. Uh, so Steve, if you'll come on up this morning, uh, we appreciate you. Thanks for coming out to be with us on this great day, and uh, God bless you guys. It is a privilege to be here, and uh, I will introduce my wife. She's in the uh, lobby foyer, foyer, that room out there, the lounge, whatever you want to call that room. Everybody calls it different, um, and because she's in, got physical issues, and uh, listening to me makes her sick. <laughs> no, that's not true. Well, it probably is true, but she's out there because of other stuff. It's an honor to be here and be in this uh, amazingly attractive sanctuary it's just nice to be in a church that's nice and to meet people that seem to be nice themselves and so we're we're just going to share a little bit about our ministry but the easiest way to do that is to let you watch a video that i'll tell you is about six years old right now and so i'll comment on some of the changes but if we can have that video run michael then uh... highway chapel is about car guys like us yeah, they're male and female, young and old, drive street rods, hot rods, tuner cars, antiques, all kinds of cars. Yeah. There are 30 million of us in the United States, including the uh, kid building his tuner car and that boomer that's building his 40 Ford street rod. And at one of the car shows, we met this elderly gentleman who had a 57 Chevy and bought his car in 56 and still has it today and looks as beautiful as it was when he picked it up at the car dealership. Of the 30 million, 18 million have never been in church. These are great people. They're generous with most of the car events being fundraisers for one charity or another from the local food bank to the U.S. Marine Corps Toys for Tots campaign. These are gregarious people loving to be part of a group which explains why there are thousands of car clubs in the U.S. We belong to two car clubs and we're thinking about joining one other car club here in Kansas. They're from every ethnic background and from every economic stratum. They span every age group. At car shows, we meet all kinds of people. I think the best kind are kids. They're walking with their parents or their grandparents and they see this car and they say, wow, can we get in the back of that? And they go, oh no, 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 you can't. But we tell them, it's okay, go ahead. And the other that we see are older people and they, always want to talk about cars. Car people tend to not be church, not because they're anti-church or even anti-Jesus. The reason these wonderful people will never go to church is that church is on Sunday. For these folks, Sunday is the time for car shows, swap meets, cruises, and tours. 
They spend most of their Sundays and most Friday nights and Saturdays too, either attending an event, working on their car, or at a swap meet looking for the one part that will complete their latest project. That's where Highway Chapel meets their need. We attend their events, especially the ones on Sunday. Sometimes we use our pop-up, flying our banner and our logo table cover like all the rest of the vendors. But most times we just enter our street rod ranchero as another car at the show and follow Jesus' example of meeting people on their level. We talk to lots of folks, mostly about cars. We build relationships that ultimately become bridges that Jesus can cross over into their lives. At the close of one recent show, we were invited to a new friend's house to see their collection of car stuff. We spent a couple of hours there and ended up talking about some pretty significant things before we left that evening. Sometimes we meet people and they just come up to talk about their cars and eventually they talk about what's really on their heart. And at that moment, we can share Christ with them. At one of the car shows, Steve was talking to some guys, and so I just slipped away and went across the way to talk to this lady. And we were talking about cars. All of a sudden, she started sharing her heart and crying. And I said, would it be okay if I were to pray for you? She said, I would love that. And so I was able to share Christ with her as Steve was sharing Christ with the guys. But most are long-term friendships and bridge-building relationships. We spend lots of time at breakfasts, at club meetings, car events, and even visiting in each other's homes, living life together, and taking every opportunity for the Spirit to work and to let Jesus shine, and for Becky's hug to melt hearts. As the relationship matures, we offer an invitation to meet Jesus, a Bible, and studies for new believers, a daily email Bible study, and weekly follow-up. Until then, we bring a lifelong understanding of car culture and an ability to speak their language with an open heart, a listening ear, and Jesus' spirit. We close with this thought, without you there is no us, and our car friends may never hear that Jesus loves them. We exist through your loving prayer covering, your encouragement, and by your financial support. If you have joined Highway Chapel, thank you very much. But if you haven't, please prayerfully consider how you can play a part in building bridges into the lives of car guys. For all of the unchurched car guys. And for Becky and I, we thank you for making Highway Chapel a reality. That's right. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's, it's fun for me to look at uh, that video that was done just after we came to Kansas and to see so many people that we did not know there that we now know, and some of them we count as very close friends. It's, uh, it's really just, a, it makes me every time I see it, think about the progress of what God is doing and the progress of how what we call, and the world, the church world calls relational evangelism, that's what we do, how relational uh, evangelism works. Now, I think about uh, a lady uh, she wasn't in the video, nor was her husband, but her husband was uh, a good friend of mine, a, a, a car guy, a character. Oh, man, was he a character. Uh, he passed December a year ago, and she is lost now. I don't mean spiritually lost. I mean, she doesn't know how to relate to us. We had a big car show yesterday at the Kansas Star Casino down near Wichita, and uh, we had hundreds of cars there and a lot of people there and it was a lot of fun and it was a lot of work and <laughs> this has been a long weekend. 
And, uh, and she was there, and we talked for just a little bit, and she's still saying, I don't know how to fit in. I don't know where to go. And so we have these, what we call spiritual conversations now. It's a new term for us, uh, where we just sit down and talk about how the Lord can help her, how we can be there for her, how we can communicate with her. It's that kind of thing we're talking about. Let me go into that. There's a, there's a study. Uh, they actually did a couple studies, but the initial study was done about 10 years ago. And they found that from people to move from just being acquainted to being friends close enough that we might go out to, to lunch on Friday or something, it takes 50, 50 hours of relationship. Think about that for a minute. So you meet somebody at, at work for the first time, you're new to the job, or maybe you've been there and they're, they're new. It'll be 50 hours. So an entire work week plus 10 hours before you're ever close enough to even say, hey, you want to go out to lunch. Now, it takes a total of 200 hours, an additional 150 hours of relationship to get to the place where you can have a relationship with someone significant enough that you can share heart to heart, whether it's talk about Jesus or sharing about the pain in your heart and you want to talk to them and they or want to be there for them. 200 hours. Now, imagine that when you're talking about an hour at a time. Because even if you work with somebody 40 hours a week, you don't actually communicate with them, but maybe an hour a week. That's 200 weeks. That's four years of relationship. So let that kind of sink in the back of your mind as we talk about a little bit about what we're doing in terms of what we do is we go to car shows. And I've had friends tell me, oh, boy, you got the best job in the world. You get to go to car shows every Saturday. That, I'm so sick of car shows, I don't care. For <laughs> we have a re regular Wednesday lunch with car guys. Some of those guys on there that I didn't even know when I shot that picture now are some of my best friends. And I get so tired of every Wednesday going to some dive and <laughs> having some <laughs> lousy hamburger because <laughs> I notice they like to go to places where there's alcohol served, and a lot of times that means you got greasy food. I don't know why alcohol and greasy food seem to work together, but that's the way it is. So I go away from there just kind of, I want to wash my ears out because of the language, and I want to take a Tums because of the food. <laughs> You don't do it because it's fun. You don't do it because, wow, that's cool. You get to live out your hobby dreams because you've been a car guy all your life. No, it's because that's where people are. And you spend your life. I've really been mulling over in, in, in my kind of my meditative part of my devotional life uh, the last couple of days, this whole idea of laying down your life. Jesus said, greater love has no man than he would lay down his life for his brother. And we always think in terms of heroic things, like the guys, the firemen at 9-11, that kind of laying down your life. But I'll tell you what, when you don't feel like getting out of bed and you get out and go to a car show because you know somebody's going to be there that needs you, that's laying down your life. When you do something that you would do in your life that extends beyond your wants and desires to meet someone else's need, that's laying down your life. That's pretty significant. And that adds to that building the 200, 200 uh, hours. Now, imagine our lives because we've got 
to build 200-hour relationships with over 150 people that we're that close to right now, that we're in that 100-hour, 200-hour window. That gets, that gets long. That gets tiring. Well, nobody's being called, other than a special missionary, nobody's being called to build relationships like that with over 100 people. I think they say that, I think the numbers that we used in the 80s is still true, that you've probably got about 8 to 10 people that you're close enough with that you could build that kind of relationship with. But still, 10 people at 200 hours is 2,000 hours. That's an entire work year. This is not a fast process. That's what I want you to understand. We hear people all the time go, yeah, I got in the airplane. And before we ever took off, my whole role was saved. By the time we hit flight level, we were all speaking in tongues and we had a Jericho march. Some of you are going, what's a Jericho march? Ask somebody with hair that looks like mine, they'll tell you. <laughs> I've always hated those people. <laughs> Not really, but you know what I mean? Because I get on the airplane, I get all the way to California, and we barely have exchanged names. I mean, I'm not that kind of outgoing, uh, super self. Becky's that person. That's Becky. That's not me. So we say, so we spend a lot of time with these people, and, and people always ask us, why do you, did you go from pastoral ministry to what became district level ministry, which is when we met your pastors in that U.S. missions deal, working for the superintendent in Southern California, now here to Kansas, and started off by working with the district uh, superintendent here, network superintendent here. Why in the world did you leave that to hang out with car guys? There's one simple answer. I could tell you for hours, or I could tell you in one verse. It's Luke chapter 9, verse 10. 19, excuse me. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Jesus did not say he came to save us. He did not say he came to give us mansions. He did not say he came to heal our diseases. Those are all side benefits, but he came to seek the lost. And so wanting to ally ourselves with Jesus, then we have to say that becomes our life's mission statement as well. And we have to think about how can we do that? How can we live it out? And I'm sure that every one of you here in this church wants to do something for Jesus. I, I'm sure there's no one here that would say, no, I don't want to do anything for Jesus. And I'm sure most of you would say, you want to lead somebody to Jesus, but I don't even have an idea what, who, who to go to or how, how to get there. Well, let me tell you some statistics. The statistics are, and these have been true for 20 years now, and they're still true today. In any community in the, in, uh, the United States, about 20% of the people go to church. Now, that can be they go to the, to the Catholic church uh, on Easter and Christmas Mass. That, or that can mean they come every Sunday like you all do. Somewhere in there. So that's 20%. 20% used to go to church but don't anymore. How many of you know somebody like that? You know that somebody used to go to church but they don't go anymore. And who knows what happens. There's all kinds of reasons why people do that. And then that leaves about 60% of Topeka that has never been in church. And you, you're going to argue with me that don't bother because it's true. It's been proven over and over again by secular and religious surveys that at least 60% of Topeka has never been in church. They've been to a bar mitzvah. 
They've been to a wedding, they've been to a funeral, but they've never been in church. They've never come to a service like this. And they've never heard an adequate representation of the message of Jesus. Think about that. Here in the United States, when you go to, to, to lunch today after church, 60% of the people you see there will have never even had the opportunity to say yes to Jesus right here in Topeka, Kansas, in the United States in 2023. Those are facts. That's not preacher talk. Okay? Now, let, that's kind of mind-boggling, and a lot of people don't even believe me when I say that, but let me tell you about my friend Jay. He's, this is the only name that's the guy's real name that I'm going to use, and he died a couple years ago, and he didn't go to be with Jesus, and that grieves my heart. There's not a day, go, day goes by that I don't shed a tear for Jay. 80-some years old, cantankerous car guy. But I learned so much, just we built engines together, and we had a great time other than he, he threw down a, a line and said, don't you dare cross it or you can't come over anymore. But we got to talking over many years. His grandparents never went to church. And you know, before World War II, the average church attendance in America was 20%, just like today. We think it was all Bible believers until the 60s. That's not true. That was only in the 50s. His parents never went to church. He never went to church. I can't do this without two hands. His kids never went to church. And now his grandkids have never been in church. That's five generations. That's not people just off the boat from China. That's five generations all of them from Southern California, all of them part of our American culture, all of them wave the, the fl uh, flag and love America, but not one of them has ever been in church. That's who we're talking about. That means that here in Kansas, there are about 1.8 million people who have never heard the message of Jesus. That means that here in Topeka, there's about, uh, if there's 125,000 people, which is what I found online, then that means 75,000 people in Topeka have never had the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Think about that. 75,000 people in Topeka. Or if you want to spread it out a little bit in for Shawnee County generally, there's 107,000 people that have never had the opportunity to hear the message of Jesus. We don't have to look to the other side of the world to find our mission field, do we? It's right outside these doors. These unchurched people are, are lost. They are not merely inconvenienced. The church's message has been so destroyed by Christian media that we forgot what we're here for. We're not here because it makes us feel good. We're not here because we're blessed. We're not here because, well, it's just I'm sick and I need to be healed. Those all happen, but we're here because of the loss. But what happens is <clears throat> in the process, when was the last time, no offense if pastor hasn't said this, I don't, I'm not picking at your pastor, I'm speaking generally. When was the last time you heard a message on hell and how hot it's going to be? When was the last time you were confronted with that unsaved kid of yours is going to spend eternity there if somebody doesn't reach that kid for Jesus? See, we've forgotten all that because it's so uncomfortable. 
because it's so inconvenient. But that's the reality. These people are not just being inconvenienced. They're not just missing the, the blessing of being a God's kid. They are eternally, irrevocably lost and condemned to an eternity in hell unless we join Jesus in his one great life purpose, and that's to seek and save the lost. And I'm convinced that every person in this room wants to seek the lost. They want to see the lost saved. I don't think there's anybody here listening to my voice, whether it's here or the folks online or anybody that you're saying, well, gee, I don't know, let them go, I don't care. There's nobody that has that attitude. But there's some good reasons. No, there's not. There's some big reasons why people aren't doing this, why we're lax in fulfilling the commission of Jesus. And what I think the biggest problem is we have been trained that you can, you have to have some certain methodology to win people for Jesus. When I was a teenager, we did evangelism explosion. You had to memorize a whole book. And I don't mean a little paperback either. I mean a, a book. And you had to know how to say these certain things and all this stuff. And I liked evangelism explosion because one of the times that I was a teenager and one of the times that I got to do one of these visitations on that, I visited a young woman whose name was Sharon and she was a, a circus contortionist. <laughs> and she was pretty. And that was fun. But it had nothing to do with spiritual stuff because I couldn't remember all of the strategy and how to make this Go there. Oh, we're taught about the uh, Roman road of salvation, but we're afraid we're going to get it wrong, so we don't do it at all. And it paralyzes us because we think if we don't get the verses in the right sequence, they won't listen. Guess what? They won't listen anyway because they don't believe in the Bible. I've got a master's degree in history. I can eat their lunch in terms of how much, how authentic and accurate the Bible is. The Bible is the best authenticated book in the entire history of mankind. There's more evidence for Jesus Christ than there is for Julius Caesar. And that's speaking, I was trained at Cal State Long Beach, a secular school by agnostic professors. And they taught me the historicity of the Bible. And that's why I believe in Jesus. That's where it started, because I was going through my doubting period. And that's what convinced me. But most of the world doesn't believe that. And now they've got YouTube filled with all these yahoos that are supposed scholars trying to teach why a Bible truth isn't truth because you can't trust the Bible. To all of them are absolutely crazy. And I love sitting there and watching YouTube and arguing with them and telling them how stupid and wrong they are. I do that because it sharpens my mind so I can be ready to answer somebody that's not on video. <laughs> I'm not that nuts. Well, maybe, but not that so we're not, we're not effective when we quote scripture to them. The second thing is, sometimes the de-churched people do. Now, de-churched are people that used to go to church and don't anymore, and they, they kind of relate to the Bible, so we can quote a Bible verse, and yeah, they'll respond. But the unchurched will not respond to the Christmas program. My friend Jay, I'd say Jay, he lived in the same neighborhood. Now, you don't understand. Here in Kansas, you don't understand this. In Southern California... Nobody lives in the same neighborhood more than five years. He lived, he was in his 80s when he passed. He lived in the same neighborhood his entire life. The only time he didn't live there was when he was in Germany with the army. He lived within six blocks of himself, every house he had ever lived in. There was an Assembly of God Church and Southern Baptist Church in his neighborhood. Jay, 
you know, I'm, I'm trying to train pastors here. Help me understand. Can I ask you some questions? Sure. Uh, didn't these churches ever invite you to Christmas or Easter programs? He goes, why would I want to go to one of those junkie shows? I can see something better on TV. That's what the world says to you. We pastored a church in, La in Los Angeles where the children's church was as big as the sanctuary church. And that's because we had a lot of kids coming from neighboring projects and such as that. We'd have, we had our children's pastors had connections in Hollywood, so we had a lot, of, we had professional stage stuff, professional makeup, professional, it was, a, it was a, quite a show every year. You know how many parents ever came to watch their kids? The kids that came to church on their own. You know how many of those parents came? No more than five in the 12 years I was there. They don't care. And nothing we offer them as a church is something they think they're interested in. Those are cold, hard facts. I'm sorry. We, as, as at the church there at Grace Assembly, we had dozens of carnivals and hallelujah outreaches. That's before you could have a Halloween outreach. Hallelujah outreach and kids programs and all kinds of things. And we saw one family come to church as a result. And that family came. They were already in church in another church. And they were just looking for a new church. And they happened to like us. I mean, we had, we had stuff going on out there. They were, they were filming a, a theatrical movie, a Hollywood movie, next door at a restaurant. Um, and we had those people from the, the crew from there come over and be part of our programs. But they were never interested in anything we had to say. They just wanted the, the show. The most effective evangelism is the much longer. That's why I hammered that so much early. The, the most effective evangelism is a much longer process using things we have in common to build a bridge from our lives to theirs that Jesus can cross over. Two quick stories. And again, I don't use people's real names because I don't know who's going to be watching the video. Homer, we got, to, we got to be friends through a car club, putting on a car show once a year. We just started hanging out together. And then it came to the point where he said, hey, Steve, I'm, I'm interested in studying the Bible. Can you help me? This is a guy who never went to church in his life. Well, sure, I'd be happy. So I, every Tuesday I'd go over and spend about an hour and a half, and we'd talk about cars and then family Badmouth somebody in the car club. <laughs> and then he'd tell me, I gave him that, you saw that five by five reading chart. I gave him that chart and I gave him that discipleship book. He wasn't interested. He started reading on his own. He started in the book of Revelation. I said, oh, please don't do that. He said, no, that's what's interesting. I said, okay. Because Jesus is there, you know. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. I figure, what better book for a guy to read? They moved to Wisconsin two summers ago. But he comes back for business. And he stood in my garage and talking to Becky and I just the other day. And he said, Steve, when I was in church the other day, on Easter Sunday, he said that the preacher gave the altar call. That's not his term. He didn't know the term for that. 
He said, but when he, he asked people to come for him, he said, I just couldn't make myself do that. But he said, I felt God speaking in my heart. And I said yes to Jesus right there. Right there on Easter Sunday. And he started, to, you know, water work started flowing. And then, of course, Becky and I are, <laughs> we're so happy. Took three years of wading him through first Genesis, and I mean, uh, Revelation, and then Genesis. I thank God he did not choose to, choose to go to uh, Leviticus or something like that. Yesterday, I told you we had this big car show yesterday, uh, this weekend. <coughs> There's a guy in that club. That club's a pretty good-sized club. There's a guy that I've been trying to communicate with for five or six years now. And he just was somebody I could not connect with. Can you imagine? Joe personality here couldn't connect with this guy. <laughs> I'm, I'm being facetious. He always just kind of was like, yeah, whatever. So we ended up yesterday sitting next to each other because we're both old and tired. And we start chit-chatting a little bit. And chit-chatting with him is like chit-chatting that chair. I mean, he's not a talker. Well, we realized we both were diabetic. So we started talking about our medications and our what we do eat and what we don't eat. And he was, he's new to the show. I've been in this show for a long time. So he said we started talking. So we talked probably 20 minutes on di diabetes. And then he said something, well, I got to go take a water pill. And I said, yeah, I got to take those too. He said, you do? Do you take potassium with your water pill? I said, yeah, they go together. I do too. He gets up, and the last thing he said to me yesterday before we hopped on the road to get here was, you know, Steve, we've got a lot in common. We need to hang out together. Jesus is going to build something amazing between this heart and that heart that he can cross over. See, that's the point in doing what we're doing. That's the point in going to yet another car show. That's the point in, in, in going to car club meetings and going to... <clears throat> driving an hour, that club, I have to drive an hour and 15 minutes to get there for a 30-minute <laughs> meeting. But then it's the hangout time afterwards. And if you don't go, you say, I'm tired tonight, I don't feel like going. Hey, you've missed the opportunity to sit and talk diabetes with my friend. You know what I'm saying? It's all about that kind of thing. You say, that wasn't a spiritual conversation, Steve. Yes, it was. Because we've gone from not having anything in common to him saying, we've got a lot in common. Well, guess what? We're going to have a lot more common over the next couple of years. You understand what I'm saying? We're going to have Jesus in common before it's over with. Now, in those 200 hours, we bring ourselves to a place where we have a relationship. Got to check my time. I'm, I'm over time. Please forgive me. Um, <laughs> thankfully, the watch doesn't have a beeper. Well, actually, I couldn't figure out how to turn the beeper on. <laughs> it's a new watch to me. So blame it on the watch. In those 200 hours, the first thing that has to happen is they have to learn to trust a believer. I spend most of my time with unchurched people, and this is the single most common comment I have from them about you. I had a friend that used to go to church and he got hurt. Why do I, I believe in God. Why would I want to go to a church and get hurt myself? I'll just sit home. They think all we know how to do is backstab. 
They think all we know how to do is be hateful because that's all they see on the media. And the few Christians, like my friend Jay, the few Christians he ever met before Becky and I was, they, he called them Bible thumpers. And he said, yeah, they're always telling me I'm going to hell for the language I've got. And then he'd use a little colorful description. The first thing they've got to do is learn to trust you. And how long does it take to trust somebody? But when they do, then they can move forward. Then they become curious. And this is where I was with Jay when finally he went, went, went to his eternal reward. How come you're not like all the other Bible thumpers I knew? You don't have to know scripture verse for that. You just say, hey, I know what I was. Pastor brought it up. We were on the way to the pit. We were in the pit. I made the mistake one time because I'm like your like Pastor Jody here. I've I've been a I was a church kid. So I made the mistake one time as a young pastor. God, I don't have a testimony. Show me what I would have been without you. And I've never even told Becky where I would have been. I'm so ashamed of who I would have been without Jesus. So we been, they begin to say, why are you different than all the other Bible thumpers? And you can say, well, my relationship with Jesus is what's made the difference. Maybe you know your testimony and you say, yeah, I used to be you know, out in the gutter doing bad things. And now I'm not because of Jesus. Or in my case, I can't tell you how bad I would have been, but I know how bad I would have been, but Jesus. Third thing that happens is they begin to consider themselves and this is an actual real study. This is not something I made up last Tuesday. They begin to be curious about what would it be like in their life if they had Jesus and he made changes in their life like he made in your life. Now, you know, when somebody gets to that place, it's not much distance from there to trusting Jesus and entering the kingdom. And what we call that process in our ministry is building bridges from our lives to theirs that Jesus can cross over. It's that simple. To seek and save the six and ten that are here in Topeka or that in your county or in your state or wherever in your neighborhood, we simply have to start with relationships. Bridge building is about capitalizing on our interests, whether fishing or quilting or golf or in our case, cars. It's that simple. Everybody can do that. There's no one that can't do that. My mom was the worst person in the world for being shy and introverted. But you get her to talk. She's with Jesus now. But you get her to talking about gardening and stuff like that. No. Hit me in the head. Put me out of my misery. But she could talk. Mom, all you got to do is talk to your gardening friends. And just keep thinking about praying for them for Jesus. About to, to meet Jesus and look for opportunities just to say a little something. What we do, I'll give you several steps and then in the next hour and a half I'll wrap up. Take the initiative to get acquainted with them and be much quicker to listen to their story than to tell yours. I learned something as a pastor that's still true working with unchurched people. You would much rather tell me your story than listen to mine. I would much rather tell you my story than listen to yours. That's the way we're wired. So you get in relationship with these people, and all you got to do is say, hey, what's up? Tell me about your family. 
how did you, you know, how did you get, I, my, one of my favorite questions is, how in the world did you get into the car hobby? Well, inevitably, it's somebody's uncle, their grandpa, something. And they start spilling their guts. Just take the initiative. And don't tell your story unless you go, yeah, my grandpa was the way I got into. And leave it at that. He'll ask, if he, he or she'll ask if they want to know. If they don't want to know, don't worry about it. Jesus knows, and who else cares? Secondly, talk cars, fishing poles, or sewing machines. Guys, you don't have to talk Bible all the time. You are the Bible to them because they don't believe in this printed one. So forget about it. Just be yourself. Just be a friend to them and let the Spirit guide you. Because I read somewhere that the Spirit will lead us and give us the words to use and the attitudes to portray if we just let him. We're Pentecostals. We believe that stuff, right? Okay. Put up with their ungodly language and attitudes and be willing to join them in uncomfortable places. First time I went into a bar to have lunch with those guys, I was praying the whole way in. Oh, Jesus, don't, don't come. Don't let the rapture happen until I get out of here. I don't want the rapture to happen while I'm in there because if it does, I won't go because that's, that's, that's the seats of the ungodly, the place of sinners. Oh, please, God, don't rapture now. <laughs> now I've got the place where I just merely dislike it. But, uh, and I wouldn't go on my own, but I'm willing to go there because that's where they are. And you know what? They may go to a bar and none of them drink. I mean, they may drink at home, but I've never seen one of them drink anything. Keep your opinions about their lifestyles and habits in your prayer and not as a matter of correction while you're with them. And don't talk politics. Because I don't care if you say, well, I'm a conservative Republican. If you're not the right angle on Trump, you just lost their interest. You know what I'm saying? I just spent the last two days dancing that dance with guys. Invite them over for pizza and accept their offer of snacks and a movie or a ball game or TV at their house. And you may have to wade through garbage. But so what? It's their life. It's their relationship with Jesus. Um, attend their weddings and funerals and be prepared to be grieved to the bottom of your, the soles of your feet. Guy was there yesterday. His wife died a couple years ago now. Very tragically, and he's just a wreck without her. Every time I say, hey, how you doing? Tears. You want to talk for a few minutes? Yeah. So he sought me out, and he said, because I take pictures for the car, of the cars and stuff. That's, that's a whole other story I won't get into. He said, will you come take pictures of, of my wife's trailer? trailer? Don't tell me you've got that casket in a trailer, and you're pulling it behind you. <laughs> no, it's a car trailer with her car in it. And so he had to take, he had to take pictures and all that sort of thing. But her funeral... I've never been so ready to punch an Air Force officer in the face in my life as that chaplain that did her funeral and never once mentioned Jesus. He mentioned, well, she loved life and she loved nature and she loved doggies. So if you want to honor her, just know that she's now frolicking in the woods with her precious dogs that went before her. I was back there looking for the airsick bag. But you see... I wouldn't have been able to talk to him about that trailer if I hadn't been there to support him at that moment. You got to be there. You got to go to their stuff. 
you got to go to, and I've been to some weird stuff. And some weddings can be even worse than funerals in some regards. Live a life of, in love with Jesus in front of them, but letting his life, don't contrive it. Let him flow through you. He will. I'll roll my eyes. Somebody come my direction. I'll go, oh, I don't want to spend time with this guy. And, you know, pretty soon I'm just enjoying the conversation because that's the spirit of God flowing through us. Let him love them through you, not trying to conjure his love in you for them. Don't be in a hurry to notch your Bible. You remember the old gunslingers? They always notched, notched their Bible every time they had it. Okay, don't, don't be in a hurry to notch your Bible. There was a couple, and we were in, and back in California days, we were in a Model A Ford club. And there was a couple of ladies that, they were not lesbians. Everybody in the club assumed they were, but they were not. But they lived together. One of them was tough, though. She, she's tough. Well, we went to uh, Forest Lawn, big funeral homes, there's a, a cemetery. There's a series of those in Southern California. And they're very religious-focused, very Christianity-focused. And so we were uh, in this one particular, uh, did you ever go to Glendale, to the one there, the forest lawn in Glendale, where they have the Last Supper and all that? Okay. They have uh, stained glass that's about as big as your back curtain back there of the Last Supper that was done two, three hundred years ago. And it's backlit by the sun. And they, they, they have uh, panels that move to, to where you can see the, at the dramatic moment, and they show you first one, and then, and then uh, you know, and, and uh, tell you about the guy that was Judas, was also John the disciple, and all that. This couple was sitting behind me, and the narrator, you know, in that narrator voice, he said, and then the night Jesus, knowing that was coming in the cross, the cross was coming tomorrow, but still he, and then he went on for that, and she reached up, she said, Steve, is that true? Now I didn't know if she even knew what Jesus was. Steve, is that true? Wait, is what true? I was only half listening. That Jesus knew that cross was coming on that night? I said, yeah, Pat, that's how... Oh, I used her name, sorry. Sorry, Pat. I said, that's how much he loves you. She had never heard that in her life. But because we were at a cemetery looking at a stained glass together... She heard the gospel of Jesus for the first time in her life. First time in her life. We're still friends. Even now, that was eight or nine, ten years ago, and we're still visiting back and forth. And don't be discouraged when you're only at an hour 150, because hour 200 is coming. Just keep, keep on. I'm sorry I've gone long. I really am. We treasure this time, Becky and I do, to, to share our ministry to car guys. We, we treasure that. We could not function a day without you and without prayer, without your covering. So we'd be honored if you'd take a prayer card and pray. But we're here more because we want to challenge you to do what we're doing. I have a guy that's, uh, he's kind of goofy spiritually, you know, a little bit. But he's my mentor. No, he's my coach. And he said one time, he said, you know, God's been speaking to me about your ministry. He said, you're doing, God says to you, keep doing what you're doing because you're doing what I'm doing. And I know that's what you want for your life. You want the spirit to say to you, keep it up because you're doing what I'm doing 
And all you have to do is start reaching out to those friends, those neighbors, those coworkers, whoever it may be that, or the folks at the golf, whatever that thing's called, golf course. And just start being you and letting the love of Jesus flow through you to them and be amazed at what kind of stories you'll tell five years from now. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor, for this opportunity. Steve, thank you so much for sharing with us this morning. I know it might be a little different for you to hear some of the things he had to say to us, but I think it's important for us to be able to keep that kind of mindset as we relate to people around us. Because we all engage people at different ways at different times, and everybody needs Christ. We all we needed him, we need him now, and everybody needs him. And God's going to put people in your life. People in your life, they may be like you or not like you. They may have your likes or not. And uh, just God will give you that opportunity to share hope with them. And I think we all need to be ready to be able to share that hope that the Lord has given to each of us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful, Lord, for Steve and Becky's life. We're grateful, Father God, and, and the unique ways that you work through them. I pray that, Father, that you will continue to open these doors for them, that you would continue to make a way, Father God, into some challenging, challenging areas with some challenging people. And, Lord, I pray that you help each and every one of us to be able to allow you to work in our lives and through our lives. Father, we pray for the, the missionary couple that, Father, you would continue to work in their lives and through them, and Father, and fill them with your presence. Father, we thank you. We offer ourselves to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.